0: it's the worldwide sports radio network broadcasting from coast to coast city to city coast to coast it's time for the Ryan Hickey show on the worldwide sports radio network If its if happening, it's in, happening sports, in sports it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey.
1: Good Monday morning. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours. Happy Super Bowl Monday, right? The unofficial holiday. Maybe one day. Hopefully sooner rather than later, the national holiday will commence. And the Monday after the Super Bowl is always a good time to have off because, man, man, what a game we had last night. And congratulations to the L.A. Rams, congratulations to Matthew Stafford, and congratulations to the few of us out there. The select few, the handful of folks that were believers in Matthew Stafford from the beginning. Yours truly was part of that group. There was not a lot of us when that trade went down and staffers traded from the Lions to the Rams. They were believers in the Rams. They could be here in this game and win this game like we saw yesterday. But again, for those select few that had their faith, had their belief, you were rewarded last night. You look like a genius. And boy, did the Rams pull one out and kind of Rams-esque fashion. So congratulations to every Rams fan out there. Obviously, congratulations to the Rams on a beautiful, nice Super Bowl 56 victory. And what a way to end what I thought, I think arguably, easily, was the best postseason collectively we have ever seen. Another game going down to the wire. Rams scoring with two minutes to go. In order two minutes to go to we'll take the lead for the final time. And it really puts a cap on what was the greatest Postseason ever. Tremendous, tremendous games going all the way down to the wire, and the Super Bowl was no different. So, we got a lot to react to here. What's next for the Bengals? We will tell you that after they fall short of their improbable run to the Super Bowl, is a new trend starting to develop in the NFL. We'll discuss that next year. Who can be the 2022 version of the Rams? Who can be the 2022 version of the Bengals? We got one team for each. We'll tell you who can maybe be sitting here this time next year and and make a run similar to what the Rams did and what the Bengals did. And also, outside of the Super Bowl, we did have some quarterback, you know, storylines pop up yesterday leading into the big game. Kyler Murray and his um frustration with the Cardinals, the Colts moving on. Reportedly from Carson Wines and the Packers wanting to go all in on keeping Aaron Rodgers. We play a little game of believe or make believe if you believe those rumors and those reports. Uh, so, we got a jam packed show here on the Monday after the Super Bowl, and we appreciate you starting your week with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Ray Network. As a reminder, we're coming to you live, as we always are, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, where it's great pizza, hot heroes, and Phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. As we know, the Los Angeles Rams are Super Bowl champions. And I'll be honest for me, looking at this run that they've had, looking at them climbing the mountain, this was one of the most impressive Super Bowl runs I feel like I've witnessed in my lifetime. Because look at the two things they were able to do. Number one, they were able to overcome a ton of pressure that I don't think really any team has faced before on their journey to the Super Bowl. And also, too, they were able to win while building their team in a style that really no one has been able to have success with before. So you had those two combinations up. It, to me, adds up as one of the best Super Bowl runs from week one all the way through the regular season, all through the postseason to where we are right now. You collectively look at The entirety of the season, one of the most improbable, one of the most impressive Super Bowl runs I, at least in my 27 years on this earth, have ever seen. Because the reason why, at least like I said before, one of the reasons why I thought the Rams had the most pressure on them on anyone else is because this season, when they made that trade to get Matthew Stafford, it put a massive target on their back, and I thought heading into the season, they had the most pressure on them of any team to win the Super Bowl. Because when you make that trade for Matthew Stafford, when you trade a first-round pick for a quarterback, when you give up your current quarterback in Jared Goff that did get you to a Super Bowl, did receive a contract extension, you are looking now to bring in a quarterback with only one objective, with only one thing to truly uh, make it a success, and that is winning a Super Bowl. Now, anything short of winning the big game. Getting the Lombardi Trophy back in LA would be considered a failure in Stafford's career, and especially this year, because again, the Rams made a move already, and, and moved off of a quarterback that they knew could get them to the Super Bowl. Now, I'm not trying to tell you Jared Goffier, you know, is this great or elite or top ten quarterback. I get it, he's not. But facts are the facts. He in 2018 was able to help get the Rams to the big game. So any quarterback you bring in, any quarterback that now you bring in to replace Goff, the standard is not, oh, just get to the big game, because you were able to do that already. The standard is, the thinking is, the logic is, the goal is winning the game. You are bringing in a quarterback that could do what your previous quarterback could not do, win the game. So that's why for me, and for the Rams, and I think a lot of people view the Rams this way, when you go all in on that trade, when you give up a total of two first-round picks, to already add to a star-studded lineup, you are doing so with one goal in mind, win the Super Bowl, anything else is a failure. So because of that, I thought the Rams had the most pressure on them heading into this season. Right? You look at the Buccaneers, they're coming off a Super Bowl victory. Even when Tom Brady got there at his age, people were unsure of what to expect. It wasn't a total Super Bowl or bust season for the Buccaneers in 2020, and obviously, this year, coming off of it, no one is really putting a ton of pressure on them to go back-to-back. The Chiefs have just come off the, you know, two Super Bowl appearances in a row winning one. They had, sure, the standard was high, but it's not exactly like it was, you know, a total colossal failure if they fall short of winning the Super Bowl. The Packers, same thing. I mean, they haven't been to the big game in so long. that I think getting to the Super Bowl would have been enough for them this year. Obviously, we know that they failed at that. But for the Rams, right, they were just in it in 2018. So getting back to the big game – Isn't a success, I think, the way it would have been viewed if the Packers just got to the big game and lost. It's nothing but the Bills. The Bills obviously went to the AFC title game in 2020. Josh Allen had that monstrous year that really broke out. And sure, now the next step for the Bills is to get to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. I get it. But it's not, I would say, a colossal failure for the Bills if they were able to get the big game and not win the big game. This was all Super Bowl or bust for the Rams. And credit to them, they have risen above the pressure all season long. They have played their best football when it mattered most. And I thought Sunday was a microcosm of their season. Right, Because it's never been easy for the Rams. They started off hot in the game yesterday. Right? They go up 13-3. They started off hot in the regular season, getting off to a good start. Matthew Stafford's playing well. They beat the Buccaneers in week three early on. And you're thinking, this Rams team is rolling. But in the middle of the game, Similar to the middle of the season, there were some speed bumps. Matthew Stafford's turning the ball over. They're going three and out. They're losing, in the regular season, games to the Titans, losing games to the Packers, where Stafford's throwing a ton of picks, three pick sixes in a row in three games that he threw. It was ugly. There was a lot of doubts of, mm, can the Rams get it done? But Matthew Stafford, in the regular season, just like he did now in the postseason, when the Rams needed him most, he was able to step up and deliver a big-time performance. Because you look at it, right? Fourth quarter, game on the line, down by four. You need a drive with six minutes left to go down and score a touchdown and take the lead. Stafford delivered the biggest drive of his life when it mattered the most. 15-play drive, 79 yards that eventually delivered the game-winning touchdown pass Cooper Cup with under two minutes left. And you look at Stafford, too, how he was able to do it. He was not just along for the ride. He was not a quarterback that was getting lifted up by a great running game, by a great defense, and some playmakers all around him. He, especially in that final drive, and for a lot of this postseason, was lifting and carrying the Rams on his back. He was doing it himself. The running game was non-existent on Sunday. I tweeted out, I would have paid Trump McVay money out of my own pocket to have him stop running the ball because they were trying to run the ball too many times, and it was not working at all. Right, They averaged the Rams as a team, averaged just 1.9 yards per carry in the game, totally unable to get any sort of run game going. And that, of course, had to lead to Matthew Stafford putting the team on his shoulders, and he absolutely did that. Did that also, by the way, without some big Key members of his team, including OBJ, who left the game earlier through the injury. Uh, Tyler Higby's number one tight end, didn't even play in the game. And then his backup tight end, Kendall Blanton, got hurt later on in the game. So you're looking at you know guys like Bryson Hopkins, fourth string tight end, coming and making some big plays. Ben Skoranek having to now be a feature and go-to wide receiver with OBJ out of the game. And Matthew Stafford, despite those circumstances, despite the fact that he he's had a rough game up to that point, was able in the biggest drive of his career to step up and get the job done. And for me, I think that drive, that game this season, punched Matthew Stafford's ticket into Ken. He's a Hall of Famer. This is a guy who's always been able to put up the stats, but what has always been the big knock on Matthew Stafford? He can't win the big game. Oh, look at his Detroit record. He can't beat good teams. He's 0-3 in the playoffs. They barely got to the playoffs. Look at what Joe is doing, carrying a franchise that has been downtrodden. That has been a dumpster fire, and he took them to the Super Bowl. Why couldn't Matthew Stafford do that? Matthew Stafford yesterday showed you it is the Alliance that were holding him back, not vice versa. He is an all-time franchise quarterback. Then we actually put a good team around him. We actually give him a good head coach that's competent. When you give him an offensive line that can block, good wide receivers to throw to, a defense that can step up and make plays, this is a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. I don't know why. I'll be honest. I don't know why so many people were unable to see that this year going into the trade. But now, a year later, with a Super Bowl ring on his finger, no one, no one, could say anything less about Matthew Stafford. And oh yeah, by the way, when you have the stats, now when you have the ring, that for me is enough to stamp Matthew Stafford into Canton. In this game, I think it's going to send him, send him a gold jacket down the line. But it wasn't your Stafford though. Like all season long, it wasn't just Matthew Stafford. Cooper Cup is number one. You know, security blanket. His number one target. Once again, when you need him most finds a way to be uncovered finds a way to always get the job done huge fourth and you know fourth and one rush that kept the drive alive frankly kept the game alive now you're backed up on your own if you're Sean McVay you're not having a lot of success up to that point on offense you get stuffed inside your own 30 yard line easy field goal range for the Bengals who knows how much time ticks away and who knows if you're you know able to get a drive down the field so you go for it and fourth one, Cooper Cup converts to the big seven-yard run, two big time receptions that total 30 yards, and then again later on, caught like three touchdown passes, but with some penalties or take it back that were no and void. Eventually, the one yard touchdown pass was had. And of course, Cooper Cup, MVP of the game, MVP, or one of the MVPs of the entire season for the Rams. So Stafford, in the biggest moment, steps up. Cup in the biggest moment, steps up. Aaron Donald, in the biggest moment, steps up. Two sacks. That fourth down rush that forced Joe Burrow to throw the ball early. It wasn't just that. It was also the third down and one tackle he had on Samaje Pirine that set up that fourth down and one with a game on the line to where he eventually wreaked havoc, took Joe Burrow or hit up, forced him to throw the ball early, threw it away, and that was the game. All season long, when the Rams needed plays, when the Rams were facing pressure and could have caved, Stafford, Cup Donald made the plays to win the game, so the Rams are able to overcome, in my mind, the most pressure any team has faced heading into a season, heading into a Super Bowl. And oh yeah, by the way, they're able to win the Super Bowl in a way the team was constructed, or uh, yeah, in a way that we haven't seen teams have success before. They assembled, frankly, an all-star team. Now they trade for Jalen Ramsey. They trade for um, Matthew Stafford. They make moves all throughout their roster, usually in free agency, in, you know, big-time trades, and they bring in experienced veterans and give away draft picks like they're going out of style. We have never seen all-star teams have success, right? We had the 2010 Eagles team that was considered the dream team, well, they totally flopped. They were a massive failure. Usually, teams built through free agency, built through drafts, don't have long-term success, don't have a lot of success even immediately. But the Rams were able, by developing young players, hitting on their late draft picks, and then again, swinging, making big swings in trades and frequencies to get some key pieces in, were able to win the Super Bowl in a way that we have never really seen teams have success in the way they are built. So they won, the Rams did, in a way that we're not really used to seeing. Like even Tom Brady last year. The Buccaneers, for the most part, were pretty much set. You had Godwin, you had Evans, you had the offensive line there already in place. You had a good defense. They brought in a few pieces, right? Tom Brady comes with free agency, and eventually Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski come. But for the most part, the core of the Buccaneers was there. They were just a quarterback away. The Rams kept on adding pieces year after year. And yeah, they had a young core. But for the most part, again, the most important pieces came either in free agency or in, the dra- uh, or in uh, trades. You never really see that. But the Rams were able to win in a style that is not conducive to winning normally. So for me, that's why it's one of the most impressive runs that we have seen to the Super Bowl. You'll win despite the fact that you've had pressure on you from day one to where it's truly Super Bowl or bust. You had the most pressure on you you of any team in the NFL this year. And you were able to win in a way team building wise that we have never seen uh, a team have success with before. That is impressive. That to me is why the Rams have had one of the most impressive runs to the Super Bowl I've ever seen in my 27 years on this earth. How about you? Love to get your thoughts on the Rams here winning the Super Bowl. How impressive is it in your mind? Love to hear. The thought, uh, love to get your thoughts. Easy for me to say. Facebook, we're out there on Worldwide Sports Train Network. You want to tweet us? We appreciate you. You know, and your love on Twitter at WWSRN underscore Radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We can get your thoughts on YouTube, worldwide Sports Network. You type that in there. We're live there on YouTube as well. So we are all over the digital space. So make sure you're following us. Make sure you're liking us on Facebook and and subscribing on YouTube. And comment on your thoughts of the Rams making their improbable, I think, most impressive run to the Super Bowl we have seen in a long, long, long time. So get your thoughts on the Rams winning the Super Bowl. And when we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, we got to look at it from the other perspective. The Bengals. An impressive, impressive run to the Super Bowl. No one saw this coming. What's next for Cincinnati? What is next? Well, there's one area. If they don't fix, whoo, they are in big, big, big trouble. I'll tell you what that is when we return. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome, Welcome back to, back to the back Ryan Hickey, the Hickey Show. Show. Right here on the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
1: And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else for the World Wide Sports Radio Network? We are reacting here to the Rams winning the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford gets it done, proves the haters wrong. Congratulations to the Rams. Congratulations to Matthew Stafford. Congratulations to everyone who's been a believer in Stafford since the beginning. But I do want to look at this game from the other perspective, and that is from the Bengals' perspective. They lose the Super Bowl, having an incredible, improbable run to the big game that none of us saw coming. What is the next for? Is Joe Burrow in danger of becoming the next Dan Marino? Where Dan Marino might get to the Super Bowl very early on in his career, doesn't win it, doesn't get back again. Joe Burrow is going to be the next Dan Marino. Joe Burrow, hell, is going to be the next Andrew Luck. If this Bengals O-line doesn't fix it, you know, doesn't get fixed, doesn't wake up, doesn't get solved. Because, my goodness, that second half was a total indictment of everything that and at least serves as a a cold reminder and a wake up call that the Bengals will only go as far as their offensive line takes them. I love Joe Burrow. He's a great quarterback. We're not taking anything away. We're not even really doubting his talents or his skills or his ability to lead and get the job done in the big moment. What I am doubting though is Joe Burrow having the ability, having the time to get the job done to win games. We told you this on Thursday. Hopefully you were listening. But we said, you get lucky once when you play the Titans, you get sacked nine times, you win the game. That game was even in reach in Parker's, Ryan Tannehill and Derek Henry were terrible in that game. So the Titans offense allowed you to hang in the game longer than you should have when you're sacked nine times. You could do it once and get away with it. You're not going to do it again. And we saw that yesterday. In the second half especially, that offensive line really held them back. You can't get over the fact when you're getting your quarterback sacked seven times. Like we saw yesterday, you will not have success and you will be able to not finish a job and win the Super Bowl. So, yesterday should have served as a wake up call for the Bengals. That the one thing holding them back, the one thing holding Joe Burrow back from being a total star in this league, is the five guys up front blocking for him. Because that that second half, especially, was a total nightmare. The Bengals. In the first half, at least, we're treading water. We're giving Bur- Burrow a time, ta- you know, time at, you know, time to throw the ball. Even, you know, the start the second half, you have that big long throw to T. Higgins. Burrow had time to throw. They get the interception. They're able to march on the field. After that field goal, or after the Matthew Stafford pick on the first play of the second half of the Rams, after that drive that concluded in a field goal that put the Rams, uh, that put the Bengals up twenty to thirteen, there was ten minutes and fifteen seconds left of the third quarter after that field goal. So from the 10-minute mark of the third quarter through the rest of the game, do you know how many first downs the Bengals were able to get? Four. Just four first downs. Why? It's not Joe Burrow's fault, not Jamar Chase's fault, not Joe Mixon's fault. It's the offensive line's fault. Because in that same period, that 10 minutes in the third quarter through the rest of the game, they were only able to get four first downs, and, the, and Joe Burrow was sacked four times. As many sacks as first downs. That's not a winning formula. And you look now at the game, when you're looking back, the offensive line was the biggest reason why the Bengals were unable to pull away. They had the momentum to start the second half. Again, you score 10 points in five minutes, boom, right out of the gate. And the Rams offense, not like they got back on track. It's not like the Rams offense from there was explosive and couldn't be stopped. The Bengals defense was doing a very good job of confusing Matthew Stafford not allowing him to find his guy in Cooper Cup for most of the second half and forcing him to make bad throws. So there was a point where you had a pick, you had three three and outs in a row, you had the run game all game being non-existent for LA, just 1.9 yards per carry on the ground for a team that runs the ball pretty well, for a team that, I don't say relies on the run, but definitely needs the run to open up the pass game at times, right? to open up that play-action game that's so deadly with Matthew Stafford. And because a lot of that wasn't working, this should have been an opportunity. This should have been a game where Joe Burrow and the offense pull away in the second half and win the Super Bowl. And the biggest reason why they couldn't, the biggest reason why they didn't, is because poor Burrow had no time in the pocket to throw the ball. And you look at it, when he was able to throw, when he had time to set his feet, he was good. The offense was moving. Right, Joe Burrow in the game was 22 of 33, very efficient. Again, when he had time to throw, and when he had time to find his receivers and go through his progressions, he was completing more passes than not. He threw for 263 yards in the game, pretty solid. Joe Mix on the ground was having a you know having a good game, averaging almost five yards per carry. So the team was balanced. You had T. Higgins step up, two touchdowns, 100 yards. Jamar Chase was a big play machine, 89 yards in the game. You know a few explosive plays himself. So you had, when again, Burrow had time to throw, you had the pass game working, you had the run game working. It was all working. But again, it goes back to the biggest issue for Cincinnati, their offensive line, the weakest unit of any unit in the Super Bowl. You stack up quarterback, running back, receivers, D-line, secondary, linebackers. You put all those units, and you stack them from greatest to worst. Bengals and Rams included, by far the bottom. The worst unit in the game, without a doubt, was the Bengals O-line, and that's what cost them a chance at the Super Bowl, and that's what's going to cost them going forward multiple Super Bowl appearances. When you are sacked seven times, when you are sacked a league-high 51 times in only 16 games, not 17, when you are sacked 19 times now in the postseason, but 12 going in, you will not Have success. The O-line didn't have a shot in the second half of this game. Joe Burrow was hit a total of 11 times. Again, taken down seven times. And that Rams D-line, like we kind of talked about, taking over the game, absolutely was dominant and just left the Bengals stunned. Left the Bengals stuck. Couldn't move the ball. Didn't have a prayer. And you look at the rest of the offense. Like, for me, what the Bengals did this year, it's not a fluke. Like the, for them coming out of nowhere, going from 2-14 and to 4-11-1 to the Super Bowl, it's not one of those one-hit wonders where I don't think they'll ever be back again. I do think the Bengals will be back in this game. Even though the AFC is competitive, right? We still have the Chiefs being, I would say, still the team to be in the AFC. When you have the Bills with Josh Allen on the rise, coming off an incredible postseason performance from their quarterback. When you have a team like the Chargers on the rise with, with their young quarterback and Justin Herbert, When you have maybe a big time trade coming for a Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, a Deshaun Watson, if he stays in the AFC, maybe a Kyler Murray now, let's get to those rumors a little bit later on. The AFC is extremely competitive, right? It's not the NFC where there's really only one or two teams that you fear or to have a true um, chance to make a run at the Super Bowl. The AFC is deep. There's a lot of parity, I think, that we'll see in this uh, conference in part because there's so many good young quarterbacks. But the reason why I'm still believing in the Bengals, the reason why I still think that this is not a fluke is because they have the talent to be back here on a consistent basis. Now, again, Joe Burrow is a great quarterback already. I would, is he an elite quarterback? I'd say just, um, just shy of that so far after one year, I don't think we could put him in the elite category after just one really, really, really good year, but you see his leadership style permeate through the rest of the locker room really kind of the team taking hold and following his lead. He's a guy who's gonna always be in these big games and again always plays well when the moment shines brightest. You have great receivers in T Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mason's a very good young running back. You have a great foundation on offense already set in place and already going to be, by the way, in place for a while. But this is not one of those things where everyone came together and now after a Super Bowl run you have free agents, You have guys that are getting a little bit older. This is a very young team. Mixon's young. Obviously, Jamar Chase is a rookie. Joe Burrow's in year two. You have Tyler Boyd still being young. You have T. Higgins in year number two as well. This core group on offense is going to be together now for a while moving forward. This defense, sure, built through free agency, right? Their secondary was kind of pieced together. Their linebackers, defensive-like. Their defense, sure, is a little bit older And that's going to need a little more work just because there's not too many foundational pieces that will be there for, let's say, the next five years or so. But they have a good D coordinator. The defense played really well for three quarters of that game. They were stifling Stafford. They, again, completely shut down the run game, which is something I did not see coming at all, to be completely honest. They played, I thought, even above their weight in this game yesterday. And you can fix that. You can, you know, again, draft well. You can... Uh, make other moves. The Bengals have a lot of flexibility, but they are going nowhere. They are not getting back to the Super Bowl. They are not having Joe Burrow become one of these superstars of the league if this O line doesn't get finished. Uh, doesn't get fixed. I'm a Colts fan, so I unfortunately saw it firsthand, and yesterday especially served as a cold reminder of how reminiscent Andrew Luck's rise and fall were are right now with Joe Burrow, because they're kind of similar where Joe Burrow missed an entire year because he tore his ACL, in fact, because he was getting hit so much last year. Uh, Saying Andrew Luck was so worn down later on in his career that he missed an entire year. But both these quarterbacks came into... The Colts, I don't say were downtrodden because they had one bad year because Peyton Manning got hurt and then they just totally rebuilt it and tore it down. But obviously, as we know, the Bengals were a downtrodden organization for a while. But both these young quarterbacks, Luck when he came in in 2012 and Burrow when he came in in 2020 uplifted this team, uplifted this organization almost single-handedly. Like Andrew Luck turned the Colts around when they were 2-14 in 2011 to an 11-5 in playoff team in 20, uh, 2012. Burrow, in a two-year turnaround, his first full, fully healthy year in the NFL, took the Bengals to the Super Bowl. So both these guys right away were able to single-handedly carry their team to the postseason and be a big reason why these teams have had success. But Luck again— took so many big hits, was sacked so many times, continually continued to get beat up. Even though he's built like a linebacker, he's bigger than Joe Burrow. He's stronger than Joe Burrow. But after a while, all these hits continue to add up. And when you see Joe Burrow get hit 11 times yesterday, when you see, excuse me, sorry about that. When you see Joe Burrow get sacked seven times, when you see Joe Burrow on the ground grabbing his knee after one of these sacks thinking, oh my God, This guy just got hurt again. The old lines going to, you know, he's not going to be able to finish the game. That was a scary moment if you were a Bengals fan. And thankfully for Joe, he was able to get up and finish the game. But you see him now in the postseason get sacked 19 times. You see me, the most sacked quarterback in the NFL 51 times, despite playing one less game than everyone else. You really got to have this serve as a wake-up call and realize we are only going as far as our offensive line takes us. Yes, we have a great wide receiver core. We have a great quarterback. We have a good running back. We are only, though, going as far as our offensive line takes us. So if you are Duke Tobin, the GM, if you are Zach Taylor, the head coach, I would spend no hyperbole here. Every draft pick I have on an offensive lineman, spend every single free agent dollar I have on an offensive lineman. Then if there's a trade to be made, if there's a, a solid offensive lineman out there that's uh, disgruntled or wants a trade or the team is ready to, to move on from him, you better be on the phone and calling because you need five guys, any five guys right now that are different than the five you have on your roster right now, to give Joe Burrow a chance to be upright. If he's upright, if he has time to throw, the Bengals will be back in this game, and I do think they will win a Super Bowl. I'm a believer in Burrow. I'm a believer in how this team is built so far, and this is a a team, again, that will only go as far as their offensive line takes them. If they can block and they can give Joe Burrow even a second more of time than he had on Sunday. Moving forward, this team is going to be back on the Super Bowl and they're going to have consistent success for years to come. If not, if they can never figure out this offensive line, and if it's constantly a rotating door of bad alignment and poor pass blocking, Joe Burrow is going to become Andrew Luck 2.0. He's going to be a great quarterback that was never able to get to the promised land of winning a Super Bowl and never really able to have the career that we expected him to have because he's constantly getting beat up, constantly getting hit, and those hits over time take their toll to the point where one hit, one injury could be the end. you got to, got to, got to, got to. If you are any and everyone in that Bengals organization, find five guys that could keep Burrow upright. That is the goal. That is the motivation. No other excuses. That has to be the number one target for the Bengals. So, yes, I'm a believer in Cincinnati. I'm a believer they can be back in this game. Even though the AFC is loaded with young quarterback talent, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be – I think we'll see a lot of parity going forward. It's not going to be easy for a team like the Chiefs to get back on a routine, regular basis. With that said, if they are able to fix this O-line, I'm a believer this team is going to win a Super Bowl. If they don't, if they're never able to figure it out, forget even for lack of trying, just for a lack of success, they're in big trouble. They're in big, big, big trouble. And all of a sudden, Joe Burrow could become Andrew Luck 2.0. Not the class, not the category you want your young quarterback to be in. So I'm curious your thoughts here. How do you view the Bengals? Is this a team that you think can be back in the big game? Was this year a fluke in your mind, or are you a believer in Cincinnati being back here in Super Bowls to come and having Joe Burrow one day lift the Lombardi Trophy? I'm a believer. How about you? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Right Network. Twitter, you can tweet us at WWSRN underscore radio. We're also on Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show. Tweet us your thoughts. Are you a believer or not in the Bengals and and how – Important is their offensive line to having their success. Get your thoughts, and when we return here, I want to hit on I think a new trend coming in the NFL. The Rams showed you a new blueprint that I do think teams will be starting to follow in the future. I'll tell you what that is when we return. Listen to the Reineke Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio. Welcome back to The Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: And welcome back into The Ryan Hickey Show Worlds, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I don't know about yourself, but I will say here the halftime show I thought played it safe. Like, I don't know about you. I was very excited for right. Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Dr. Dre, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, a lot of big time names, a lot of songs that are well known. And I think for me, when I say play it safe, I guess I just wasn't blown away by the halftime show. In part because it's tough. When I mean, you have so many people, and you have five different big time performers, right? They all got to get their shine. They all got to play one of their own songs. So it's almost kind of tough and free not that greater creative when it's basically you're going down the line one at a time. Like Dr. Dre starts, he does his song, then they go to Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg goes, then it's Mary J. Blige, then they go to Eminem, then it's uh, Kendrick Lamar, And then they finish up with Snoop and Dr. Dre. But it's just kind of like, all right, you go from one song to another to another to where I feel like it didn't, I don't know about you, it didn't really flow that much. Like it just, like it was kind of like an assembly line of, okay, you guys go, then you go, then you go, then you go. Like honestly, I think sometimes less is more. To where if you had half the cast, if you had let's say I don't know, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and Mary J. Blige, no offense to Eminem, no offense to Kendrick Lamar, if we cut them them uh, those two out, I feel like then okay, you can get more of the acts themselves performing, You can get more songs. Maybe you can have you know a, a combo or a, you know Mary J. Blige and Snoop Dogg singing the same song. You could, I feel like you just could have been more creative. Then just kind of in a simple line going down the line. Okay, song here, new song, new song, new song. Kind of everyone performing on their own. It wasn't really great. The, oh, yeah, by the way, 50 Cent was there hanging upside down. Why was hanging upside down? I have zero clue. Why was 50 Cent there in the first place? I have no idea. Five people you think is enough? Sure, let's add on a sixth. Let's make the halftime show even more, you know, watered down because we're just kind of going from act to act to act. So that was, I don't know about you. I was excited for it. I was hyped up for it. I just thought there's too many performers. Sometimes less is more. The Super Bowl has done, you know, two act combinations before. I think that's worked out. I think they should go that going, you know, do that moving forward. I hope this serves as a lesson that sometimes, yeah, too many performers kind of makes it struggle for anyone either to stand out or truly get in their own groove. Cause you're sitting around. Like fifty cent was what? Five minutes in, the guy's hanging upside down for five minutes, having the blood rush through his head? MM standing around or Kendrick Lamar standing around for 10 to 15 minutes before they get, you know, there, and for Kendrick Mar, getting his two lines in before they quickly, they quickly moved off him. But that was me, my, I don't want to say complaint, but that was my reaction to the halftime show. I really always try to look at these in a positive light because so many people love always complaining about the halftime show. There's always something for people to complain about. There's always something for people to hate, right? Usually, never, can we all agree on something was really good. Usually the halftime show is something we a lot of people like to agree on that it was terrible. I don't know if its expectations are too high. i was just hating for hating's sake. You know, Twitter's always usually, for the most part, pretty negative. But I will say I was, I don't say disappointed, but I was just okay. Eh. Nothing crazy, nothing special. I don't know about you. I'm not gonna go back and rewatch it probably ever again. That was a one and done. I saw it. Okay, do I have any reason to watch it again? No. That's all. That's so all I was hoping to be a little bit better. But, you know, you can only do, again, you can only do what you can when there's six people performing in a 15-minute span, right? You can only get to so many lines. You can only have so many um, people sing, you know, songs. Just having, having the one song and go, something I was not a fan of. But up to hear your thoughts. What are your thoughts on the Halftime Show, Facebook, Worldwide Sports, or Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. So he we tease it for the and I want to get to it here. The NFL, as we know, is a copycat league, Right? That happens to anything. Anytime a new playing offense is drawn up, what happens? Every single team takes it. We saw it even yesterday in the Super Bowl. The Philly special, right? Started with Nick Foles catching that touchdown pass to the end zone in the Super Bowl a few years ago, and we saw it yesterday again where Cooper Cup threw an errant pass to Matthew Stafford that was incomplete. Teams have taken that play and put their own little spin on it, but now everyone runs some version of the Philly special. Spread offenses, defense, right? How the Chiefs were defended all year. Teams watched how certain defenses played, and they said, oh, that's how we stopped Patrick Holmes. We'll do the same thing. The NFL is a copycat league. And I think now having the Rams win the Super Bowl, climb the mountain, and do so in a way that we have really never seen before, I think it's going to lead now to more teams changing the way they they think about team building. I think the Rams winning the Super Bowl is going to start a new trend in the NFL, and that's this. Teams being more aggressive in frequency, more aggressive in trades, and more aggressive with departing from their draft picks. I think we're going to see, not to the same level, but an NBA mindset when it comes to building teams, when it comes to free-to-see in drafts, I think we're going to see an NBA mindset trickle into the NFL. Like, departing with draft picks, I think it's going to become more normalized. And now trading for stars, I think it's going to be a, a bigger, a bigger or, or become more popular, I should say, going forward. Because you think about it, right? We don't see many blockbuster trades in the NFL. The NFL trade deadline, for the most part, is pretty boring. There's a reason for it, because in the NFL, there's not a lot of trades because usually the older you are, the more wear and tear uh, is on your body already, and it's you know ROI, return on investment. You're trading for someone who's been in the league, let's say five or six years. Well, you are trading for someone that is already has some damage on their body, and there's no guarantee. That they can perform to whatever you wanna, you know, whatever the draft composition you're giving up or whatever the player you, you give up is. Where in the NBA, right, you don't have to really worry about injuries as much. So if you trade for a big time star, you don't have to really hold your breath or, you know, get worried if they've had so many miles on their tires because, again, the NBA is, you know, less physical and there's less injuries going on. Where in the NFL, again, a five year player, there's legitimate significant wear and tear in the body. They've had, you know, there's an injury risk, there's an injury concern. We know the, the um, NFL players kind of in their prime, it's a shorter prime, and they age out of it quicker in the NFL than in the NBA. So again, when you're trading for a 27-year-old player in the NFL, it's a whole hell of a lot riskier and different than trading for a uh, 27-year-old player in the uh, NBA. With that said, though, I do think we'll start to see more trades happen because you see the Rams doing it, and it worked to perfection. They were able to construct their team. I don't say in an all-star fashion, but selectively making big-time trades, making big splashes to fill weaknesses on their team. All right? They gave up two first-round picks for Jalen Ramsey, lockdown corner. Two first-round picks in total to trade for Matthew Stafford. Gave a second and a third-round pick, which, considering the age and the rental, is a good price to pay for Von Miller. But guess what? Was it worth it? Guy had two sacks in the Super Bowl yesterday. I would say it's worth it. help them win a Super Bowl. So you saw the Rams be very aggressive with their picks, where you look at the Von Miller trade and the Matthew Stafford trade. The Rams don't have a first, second, or third round pick this year so far. They have changed the game because they realized, okay, if we can draft really well later on, if we have our scouting department nail, let's say, the third, fourth, and fifth round picks on a, on a continual year-by-year basis, we can then depart with first-round picks, because number one, if you you view it from the Rams' perspective, they expect to be in the playoffs every single year. So you are departing with late first-round picks that could be viewed as early second-round picks. For the Rams this year, when they're 32, basically a second-round pick. Basically, now the Lions have one first-round pick and two second-round picks. That's how you can view it when it's that late in the draft. So if you're the Rams and you constantly feel like, all right, we're going to be picking, let's say, 25 or later every single year, We will depart for a a first-round pick. And instead, instead of drafting, I'll take 27, we would rather get this player that we know is a bona fide NFL player. We know he can play. Sure, we got to pay him. Or sure, he's a little bit older. We don't have, you know, the the cheap control that you would in a draft pick. We are, though, going to take our chance because we know this guy can play in our league, right? Drafting players is a risk. We have seen so many can't-miss prospects bust out. And we have seen so many players under the radar Pop up, a.k.a. Cooper Cup. No one knew who the hell this guy was at Eastern Washington. He comes in now, one offensive player of the year, one Super Bowl MVP. It's a scouting like that that makes a big difference, that makes it okay to depart with first-round picks to get talent like Ramsey, like Stafford, like Von Miller. I think we'll start to see that moving forward now. And if you think about it, if you're a playoff team, are you going to take a risk that, hope, that you hope your first-round let's say, pass rusher, works out, rookie, second-year guy, and you're going to have to put a lot of pressure on him early on to perform because, hey, we need this guy to fill a hole. We need him, we need him to perform well, and we need him to do his job, whether it's pass rusher, whether it's wide receiver, whether it's you know offensive line. We need him to basically come in and play right away. You're going to risk it with a draft pick that, again, there's no certainty of how they'll play, no certainty of how quickly they'll develop or catch on to the NFL game, or could you use that pick to get a bona fide veteran again, like a a good quarterback, like a lockdown corner, maybe like a left tackle that you know can play right away, and then you could feel comfortable with in the next two or three years playing at a very high level. It makes sense for teams now to take the sure thing. So going forward, why do you think this trend is going to only increase where teams are giving away draft picks, where teams are now making more trades, is because it is sustainable. Like the Rams, how they constructed their team, they didn't get to the Super Bowl by luck. It's not unrealistic. Or it's not, you know, there's not an ability to have it be duplicated again because how they went about it was drafting really well, developing really well, coaching these guys well, and then making big-time splashes at impact positions. That's a big, important key here. The guys they traded for, Start at pass rusher, start at corner, start at quarterback. They're not the Seahawks trading two first round picks for a safety in Jamal Adams, trading for a linebacker, trading for a number two, number three receiver. You are making these big time splash moves for impact players at premium positions. So that's why the cost is worth it. And that's why I think we'll see moving forward. So if now, we look at the rest of the NFL. If you look at teams that can follow the landscape of what the the Rams did, I think you do it for a team like the Bills. Right? We saw them already kind of do a similar trade, uh, and kind of have a similar philosophy as the Rams, because last year before the 2020 season, right, they made a big trade, gave a first-round pick for Stephon Diggs. Do you think the Bills are regretting giving up a first-round pick for Stephon Diggs? I don't think so. Josh Allen was tremendous in 2020. I think, in part, because of Diggs' presence as a number one alpha receiver, that security blanket that Allen felt comfortable throwing the ball to, they didn't have in his first two years in the NFL. That small difference, that first-round pick, instead of drafting maybe a wide receiver, taking a risk on a guy, or going through free agency just to get you know go through the bargain bin, the Bills identified a premium player at an important position and said, that's the guy we need. We're taking Stefan Diggs trade for him. Don't regret it. But now if you're the bills, maybe yeah, you could just pass rusher. Maybe you could use another corner outside of uh, Trader's white. Maybe, you know, you look in this offseason and say, well, look at the Rams. They don't have a first round pick for the next 10 years. Essentially they're doing it right. I don't think they're sweating it too much. We can maybe do the same. Now you can be selective, in the draft capital to give up. But I think now you've got to be more flexible and more willing to make a big-time move for a player that's already been in the NFL, for a veteran, to get you over the top. So whether it's pass rush, whether it's offensive line, whether it's corner, those important positions, I think we'll start to see more big-time trades go down. And start to see more, for like of a better word, blockbuster trades in the offseason. Maybe the trade deadline in the NFL will get a little more active in season, but in the off-season, March, April, May, June, I think is where we'll see a lot more activity and not have the same frequency extent to the NBA. Now, where NBA frequency now is a massive deal and almost in some aspects bigger than the season itself. You know, the NFL season will still be the main attraction. But I think we'll start to see now teams be more aggressive and be more willing to part with draft picks before or now, whereas before, right, everyone's clutched onto those picks. Oh, I can't give away, you know, multiple firsts. We got to, you know, pull the trigger and make sure we keep our picks. Aggressiveness, I think, is going to start to now trickle into the NFL when it comes to team building. So if you're the Bills, I think you absolutely go down that road to the Rams, pull the trigger. If you're the Cardinals, they've already done it with DeAndre Hopkins, although that was kind of a fleece and a steal. But you could use a bona fide left tackle. You could use, you know, a really number one lockdown corner. You could use some other, you know, important pieces to truly help this team. Cowboys, same thing. I don't know what good, you know, a first round, you know, draft pick later on could do when you can get a bona fide star right now to elevate this team to a higher level than where you are sitting with the Chargers. So there's teams right now that are close. Close to the Super Bowl, close to making a playoff push that one or two trades make a big difference. I think we'll see that aggressiveness starting to come more and more. So I think a new trend is coming. I do think more teams are going to try to be like the Rams, try to build their team through the draft at times. You know, I'm not saying it's all free. to see, kind of doing what the what the Patriots said, because that showed you it doesn't work all the time. But I think we will see more aggressiveness, more bigger moves made by GMs. Whereas, let's say five years ago, not a lot of those, Trades are going down because teams and GMs are clutching, are holding on to those draft picks and never giving them up. So when we return returning on the Rodney Show, I'm going to play a little game. Let's have a little fun. Believe or make believe, right? Because we had some big-time news outside of the Super Bowl just yesterday. We had news on Aaron Rodgers. We had news on Kyler Murray. We had news on Carson Wentz, a big news dump. Uh, leading into the big game, so there's three reports I want to run by you, three rumors I want to run by you, and see if you believe or make believe. I'll give you my answer. I'd love to get yours. We'll do that when we return here. Listen so, to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It is it, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome Radio back, back to back. the Ryan Hickey, 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 Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are coming to you live as always as a 10 o'clock hour sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed. Hopefully, you had some good charcuterie yesterday. Super Bowl Sunday is a great, great occasion for that. Valentine's Day as well. Happy Valentine's Day. But charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So check out LC Designs NYC, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. Happy Valentine's Day. I Feel like I totally forgot today was V Day until right there seeing the date uh, February 14th. So gentlemen, hopefully you didn't forget like some people, like some hosts on this uh show right here, we won't name any names, but I did just realize it was Valentine's Day. So Got to make some quick moves here before the day ends. But I do want to go quickly to some non-Super Bowl stories. We will go wall-to-wall Super Bowl the rest of the show. But we did have some news dumps yesterday leading into the big game. Three quarterback storylines kind of did surface on Sunday. I want to get your thoughts if you believe them or not. So play a little game called Believe or Make Believe. I'll run three reports by you here. And get your thoughts of, do you believe these reports? Will they come true? Or, eh, you're skeptical. You're not totally believing it. You have your doubts. So let's get your thoughts on this game again. Facebook Worldwide Sports Network. You can tweet us at WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show. We will go up north to Green Bay. In report, it is reported that the Packers are prepared to go all in. On paying Aaron Rodgers, they'll do whatever it takes. They'll prepare to give him 40 to $45 million a season for, let's say, two years. And do financially whatever it takes to pay Aaron Rodgers. For me, I hear this report. I think it's make-believe. I don't buy it. Here's why. The Packers, in their illustrious, long history in the NFL, they have never been a team that has gone all in on a season, all in on a player. They usually, right, are a team that has never, when they are one piece away, never made the move either financially, trade-wise, free agent-wise. They've never made that move to clean up any deficiencies that they've had, right? Let's go back to just recent time. 2019, Aaron Rodgers there, Matt LaFleur, right, they get to the NFC title game, they get gashed by the run. Their run defense is a problem all year that year. They're thirteen and three. They don't fix it, or, or they have a chance to fix it going into twenty twenty. They don't. They don't get a big run stuffer. They don't go out and get a big time defensive lineman or, or change up their defense to ensure there's no weaknesses for them going forward. Twenty twenty comes around. What's their big weakness? No second receiver, right? It's Devontae Adams and really no one else. There's a lot of inconsistency behind Adams. And what happens? uh, NFC title game at home, you lose to Tom Brady. This year, again, you will get first place in the conference. You have a chance to make a Super Bowl run. Aaron Rodgers in the midst of a second consecutive MVP-type season. And they go home early. The Packers have never been the team that has gone all-in like we've seen the Rams do. With draft capital, with trades, with free agent moves, the Rams have gone all in and it worked out. The Packers have never been that organization, and I don't think it's starting now. I don't think Aaron Rodgers at his age, coming off of his production, as we know after they drafted Jordan Love, already preparing for the future, I don't think the Packers all of a sudden are going to blow up their future plans, blow up their current cap space, and go all in to keep Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay for the short term next to two years or so. This, to me, sounds like the Packers are trying to get out ahead of the story. I think maybe they, they think, because it's Aaron Rodgers' decision, let's not forget, I think the Packers maybe thinking Aaron Rodgers is going to leave. And so we need to save face with our fans. We need to save face with the rest of the league and not have it just be like basically Aaron Rodgers walked out and we allowed the two-time reigning MVP to leave our organization without, you know, trying to keep him. I think the Packers are trying to do a spin zone here publicly or they're trying to sell, hey, we want to keep Aaron Rodgers here. We want him in Green Bay. But he decided he doesn't want to be here. He made the choice to leave. We did everything we could, but he decided to leave. That's what I think this is. I think it's the Packers trying to sell you, we did all we could. When in reality, this has been a, this has never been a team that's gone all in. So I think this is the, the Packers trying to stay facey with their fans. Trying to save face to the rest of the league and not make it seem like they are ushering out a two time or, or two, the reigning back to back MVP award quarterback for a rookie or for a guy making, you know, that's going to have his first year starting the league next year in Jordan Love, who's already a project when they trade him. Because if you truly have it left up to Aaron Rodgers, frankly, it's a hard sell to have him come back, right? You look at the cap hell. The Packers are in. You have Aaron Rodgers say he doesn't to be part of a rebuild. Well, let's look at what it is. For the for the Packers to be and have the second-worst cap space entering 2022, even if they truly do, let's say, go all-in, and this report is true, I don't believe so, but let's say it is true, Packers signed Aaron Rodgers to a two-year, $90 million deal. He stays in Green Bay. Let's say they franchise tag Devonta Adams. He stays in Green Bay for at least 2022. Well, you keep those two guys there, that's going to mean a lot of cap casualties ever else. Maybe it's on the offensive line. Maybe there's no shot in how you can get a second receiver to pair to Monte Adams. Maybe now that talented defense that really played well and really surprised a lot of people this year by playing, I would say, over their skis and over expectations in 2021, takes a step back because you now have to depart with some key free agents, with some key you know, players on your team that you got to cut or move money around because you can't afford to keep them. So even though Aaron Rodgers said he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild and the Packers are going to try everything in the power to, to keep him, allegedly, I don't see how that works out. I don't see how you can keep Rodgers, keep Devontae Adams, and not have it be some sort of a rebuild and, or at least we'll put it this way, have as strong of a team next year as you had the last two years. So I think that's why, to me, honestly, this team next year is going to be worse off than it is this year. So if you're Rodgers, the choice is yours I think that he's already decided or or leaning towards, let's say, leaving. I think the Packers now, by having Ian Rapport flood at this report that the Packers are all in on paying Rodgers and do whatever it takes financially to keep Rodgers in Green Bay, I don't believe it. I think it's make-believe. I think this is the Packers trying to save face and not actually backing up their words with actions. I still think Aaron Rodgers is going to get traded. This report to me, I don't buy it. It's make-believe. The Cardinals, man. This week for the Cardinals took a turn. It started with Kyler Murray scrubbing all of his social media posts of anything with him. Cardinals related, it's all gone. It is all gone. And now, yesterday, we have received a report from Chris Mortensen of ESPN that it's not just the fact that Aaron uh, Aaron Murray, Georgia shout out there. Kyler Murray is upset with the Cardinals. Also, the Cardinals now are upset with Kyler Murray. And I believe that report. I believe there's actual tension there between the two. I believe the Cardinals have a right to be upset with Kyler Murray. Murray in the report is, is explained, or the reason why at least it's floated out there that he is frustrated with the Cardinals is because he's upset with how the season ended, completely choking, you know, and collapsing in December, having that just embarrassing playoff performance where offense they couldn't get anything going on offense, and Murray feels like he's been the scapegoat. For the collapse. Now the reason why the Cardinals. According to Chris Morrison, are upset. I think their reasons are valid. They say that according to sources. The Cardinals feel uh, Kyler Murray is self-centered. Immature. Finger point. I believe it. Because you know what? We can see it. You could see it in Kyler Murray's body language. I'll say the last six weeks and all. Because that's really where things started to hit the skids. And really went south for Arizona and Kyler Murray. That month of December, that month of January, you really saw, I think, the true colors of, so far, Kyler Murray. And that's not that he's, I should say, that? and we saw that he's truly not a a good leader. He is someone who does get dejected. He is someone who does slump his shoulders and kind of go into a shell when either he's not playing well or the team is not playing well. Like, if a receiver drops the ball or an offensive lineman blows their assignment or the running back fumbles the ball... He does pout. He does kind of shrink down and kind of allow that negative energy to surround him. Where instead, we have seen quarterbacks like Tom Brady. Like in the Super Bowl with Joe Burrow and Matthew Stafford. Instead, be able to block out that negative energy and keep on moving forward. We saw Matthew Stafford yesterday play pretty bad for two quarters, right? He had a good first quarter, started off hot. Second and third quarter, and even midway through the fourth quarter, the Rams' offense stunk. Stafford threw two picks. They're going three and out, left and right. They had three consecutive three and outs in the third and fourth quarter before that final drive of the game where Stafford led them on a touchdown pass. If that's Kyler Murray, he is not overcoming that adversity. He has been a guy so far through three years in the league, we have seen him slump his shoulders, get down on himself, start to blame others. And do be self centered and immature. I don't think Kyler Murray is a great leader. I think he can be. I think he's a ton of talent. But I think that mental aspect right now is the biggest thing holding him back. And we saw it in the playoff game. He looked like he gave up and quit. He looked like, you know what, boys, this is not our game. I'm over this. And you could see by the reports of why Kyler Murray's upset and the reasons why he's upset. As exact reasons why the Cardinals are frustrated at them. Wait, like Chris Morton's reporting why the car uh, why is Kyler Murray frustrated at the Cardinals? Why is he upset that he, you know, so upset that he scrubbed all social media of him in Cardinals gear? Well, he's upset that the season ended and he feels like he's a scapegoat. Kyler, you played bad. You on offense are the reason why you only scored 12 points against a hapless Lions team. You played bad against the Colts. Um when they are missing their entire offensive line and I think nine starters on defense because of COVID, they were the Colts were banged up. The Colts, especially defensively, were missing some key contributors, including their hard-sold linebacker Darius London. They were missing their, some of their key cornerbacks, and you couldn't muster one uh, more than one touchdown drive. Kyler Murray in that Colts game on Christmas night struggled; wasn't that good? You should have taken advantage of a bad Colts defense. You didn't. You go into the the the. Wild card game against the Rams, and you have negative yards for most of the game. You throw an awful reception in the end zone that basically sealed the game good night in the first half. Don't get me wrong here. If you listen to this show, you know I'm not a big Cliff Kingsbury fan at all. I think he should have been fired. I think the Cardinals made a major mistake in bringing Cliff Kingsbury back for 2022. He should have been fired. I think he's a big reason why the Cardinals collapsed in December and won one game in, in January and uh, December. He's a big reason for it. But with that said, Kyle Murray, have a little self-awareness. Have a little pride. And you know what? Even if it is Cliff Kingsbury's fault, be like, you know what? It's on me. I'm a leader. I, it starts with me on the field. i got to be better. And instead, he feels like he's a scapegoat, even though he had an equal part in playing awful on the field the last six weeks of the season. Come on, man. And that feeds right into the reports of why the Cardinals are upset with their quarterback. They feel he's immature, self-centered points fingers. That's exactly what he is doing here. We've seen it on the field in his body language, and now we are seeing it off the field with how he is acting this offseason so far. A lot of it is on Cliff Kingsbury, and that has to be fixed next year. And unfortunately, the Cardinals are wasting, I think, 2022 by bringing Cliff back. But it also starts with Kyler having him play better, having him take some accountability. Be responsible for your play. Be responsible for the team's output, Kyler. You are not so far. You're still young. You have plenty of ways to go. I don't think this is going to end up with Kyler Murray being traded this offseason. I think he will be with the Cardinals still for a long majority of his career. But this should serve as a wake-up call for both sides. The Cardinals have to realize, okay, we got to give Kyler the best chance we can to have him succeed. And if you're Kyler Murray, you got to realize I have to be better. Both those sides have to come together at the table. But I do believe, forget Kyler Murray being upset with the Cardinals. I 100% believe the Cardinals are uh, upset with Kyler Murray. And finally, another shock. There was a report out there by Chris Morton again, who was working overtime yesterday. Hopefully ESPN really you know, gave him a little extra salary bump with some of these reports he was dishing out yesterday. Chris Morton put out there that the Colts are planning on either trading or cutting Carson Wentz before the March 18th deadline. He's on the team March 18th, and before he gets a $7 million, I believe it is, roster bonus. So the Colts are looking to move on from Carson Wentz, a guy who they traded a conditional second that turned into a first-round pick for his um, services last year. And you know what? I believe it. Even though the Colts have been stingy with draft capital, even though the Colts don't have many clear and obvious upgrades to Carson Wentz, like he's been bad and I'm done with Carson Wentz personally as a Colts fan, if you look around, there's not many quarterbacks that are true upgrades over Wentz. Like the obvious ones, Russell Wilson, Deshaun, well, Deshaun Watson's not out, you know, not a Kent because he's in division. There's no way in hell the Texans would trade him to the Colts. But Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, hell, I don't think Kyler Murray gets traded, but Kyler Murray... There are obvious upgrades to Carson Wentz. But outside of those three options, there's really not many guys out there, if you're the Colts, that are clear and obvious upgrades. The reason, though, I still buy it is because Jim Irsay's is an owner. is someone who doesn't hide his cards. After that gut-wrenching, embarrassing Week 18 loss to the Jaguars where the Colts were winning there in the playoffs, and instead they got blown out. Blown out! Forget losing. Blown out. By the worst team in the NFL and the Jaguars. Jim Mercer, all the next week, was on social media. He was all pumping out the same message. The Colts are putting all their chips in. They are going all in on 2022. And if you're Jim Mercer, you can't say you're going all in and bring Carson Wentz back next year. You going all in means you make a massive mood for a Russell Wilson, for an Aaron Rodgers, for now a Kyler Murray. Maybe another quarterback we don't see coming that gets to Toronto and gets traded. That is what going all-in is. I think Frank Reich, unfortunately, learned. I think Chris Ballard, unfortunately, learned. And Jim Ursay also learned the hard way. Carson Wentz ain't the guy. So going all-in on 2022, making a playoff push, maybe breaking a Super Bowl run, starts with getting a new signal caller. So I do believe the Colts are ready to move on, and I do believe they will move on in part because, like I said, Jim Mercer has been adamant about going all-in. Going all-in doesn't just mean getting a second you know, wide receiver. doesn't just mean getting a, you know, a better corner to upgrade their position. It means getting the most important position in football, getting a massive upgrade there. So, fingers crossed it works, but I do think now we will see the Colts make a big swing at a quarterback, and it also helps, again, in a copycat league, to see the Rams take a big swing on a quarterback and Matthew Stafford give up two first-round picks, right—one to just get rid of Jared Goff, another to get Matthew Stafford—you have two first-round picks for a uh, quarterback. They just won them the Super Bowl. The Rams are absolutely not regretting that move. And I think seeing that future of Merce, only motivates you more to try to land the big fish, try to make a huge swing and hit a home run on getting a quarterback next year. So, I think I believe the reports the Colts are done with Carson Wentz, and I do believe they're going to make a huge, huge move this offseason to land a guy that could take them over the hump in which Carson Wentz could not. So, three reports out there about three prominent quarterbacks Colts moving off of Carson Wentz, I believe it. The Cardinals being very upset and frustrated with Kyler Murray, I believe it. The Packers going all in financially to do whatever it takes monetarily to keep Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, I don't Believe it. I love to hear your thoughts. What do you believe? What don't you believe? Love to get your thoughts on Twitter. Tweet us at Ryan Hickey Show. Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. You can find the live stream of the show right there as well. Comment on Facebook or comment on Twitter on the live stream. We'll read your, read your comments live on air. We'll get your thoughts also on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You can write in, there, uh, right in the comment section on our Facebook page. Again, Worldwide Sports on Air because we can find the live link to the show. And on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So we'll get your comments, we'll get your thoughts. Which reports do you believe of the quarterbacks that are out there? Which reports don't you believe? And when we return, because the Super Bowl is now complete, and now we can turn our attention towards the 2022 season, I want to ask you this. We saw the Rams make, you know, basically be a quarterback away, make that move and have it pay off. We saw the Bengals come out of nowhere. In 2021 to make a run to the Super Bowl. As we look towards next season already, which team in the NFL can mimic the Rams? Which team in the NFL can make an improbable run similar to what the Bengals did in 2021? I got a team for each. Let's get your thoughts on who could be the next Bengals, who could be the next Rams. We'll discuss that next when we're returning to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It's, it's, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
1: And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I don't know about yourself, when it comes to rooting for whatever team you root for in the NFL. But I am an eternal optimist. I am someone who always tries to look at the bright side for my team, always tries to find the silver lining and give myself hope for the next season. And I do think here both the Rams and the Bengals with how they got to the Super Bowl, their journey here, um, does provide hope for a lot of fan bases now moving forward. So as we get set to kind of turn our attention towards the 2022 season, I want to ask you this. This time next year. And we get ready to, to wrap up Super Bowl 57. Who could make a, a Rams-esque run where they're a quarterback away from being in this game this time next year? And who can come out of nowhere like the Bengals and make a similar improbable run to the Super Bowl? We've seen it happen once this year, right? So why can't it happen again? I do think the, you know there's a team for each to keep an eye in here that can make an improbable run. And truly can kind of make a run no one is seeing. Not that the Rams were this team that really was, you know, really popped out of nowhere, but there was a lot of doubt of Matthew Stafford going to um LA and having it work out to be to the point where they won a Super Bowl. Who can mimic and be and replicate what the Rams did this year? I got a team, I got a team for each. We'll start with the Rams perspective. You know who I think can be the 2022 version of the Rams? I think it's the Minnesota Vikings. You look at this team. The Minnesota Vikings are legitimately a real, not Kirk Cousins, but a real quarterback away from Super Bowl contention. Look what they have on offense. They have one of the best wide receiver duos in all the NFL with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Now, Justin Jefferson, even in just year number two now, continues to rewrite the record book and continues to stack so far impressive season after impressive season. Two years in the NFL – two Pro Bowls. Adam Thielen, pro wide receiver, great short-handed, great ravel runner, does all the great, you know, small things well. So you kind of look, these are similar to what Cooper Cup and he's healthy Robert Woods were able to do in complementing the Rams' offense. And I think you could have a similar one-two punch with Thielen and Justin Jefferson in Minnesota have similar kind of production. So you got the wide receivers in place to make a run. They have the running back in Dalvin Cook where if he's healthy on the field, right? It's the biggest question, but when he's healthy, he's a top five running back in the NFL. Ran for over, over 1,100 yards this past year, fifth in the NFL. So you have a run game you can rely on. You have a passing game that has two great threats to throw the ball to in Phelan and Justin Jefferson. If you are Minnesota and you are able now to get a true, real, playoff-performing quarterback, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, maybe Kyler Murray. Look out. This to me can be a team that has a similar run like the Rams did last year. You guys sure up the defense a little bit? Absolutely. The offensive line is pretty solid. But now you look okay, you have Kevin O'Connell coming over, bringing a Rams esque offense. So you have the pieces in place already in Minnesota. That can mimic what L.A. was doing. Now you bring their office coordinator, which sure, he's not Sean McVay. He's not calling the plays. But we have seen now kind of that system working. Kind of working in, in Cincinnati, wouldn't you say? Kevin O'Connell comes in. And they can, you bring that system, bring what works in L.A. And have already the pieces in place to run it effectively in Minnesota. So as long as you get a quarterback, you can have one of the most explosive offenses in all of the NFL. And when you look around at the competition that's facing the Vikings, there's not many teams that you are truly scared of if you get that quarterback that's going to step in your way. The NFC is wide, wide, wide open, and it's there for the taking. Obviously, the Rams are going to be the team to beat, and the Rams are by far the most talented team in that conference. The Packers, we just talked about them before. If they bring Aaron Rodgers back – I don't think cap-wise they'll have enough room to run the team back and there's going to be some significant talent offload, whether it's on the offensive line, whether it's on the defensive side of the ball. To where Even if you could bring back Rodgers and Devontae Adams, they are so far above the cap already, having the second least or, or being basically the, the team that is the second highest over the cap to where they're going to have to make some big-time moves and, and make some tough decisions. In order to free up caps race to keep Rodgers and keep Devontae Adams. So, this team is going to get worse. That's if you keep Rodgers. If he decides he wants to leave and he's traded, now all of a sudden the Packers are no foe. That NFC North becomes an extremely easy division to win for the Vikings. And you look around the rest of the NFC, you got the Rams standing your way, absolutely. The NFC uh, NFC West, or the NFC East to the Cowboys area, absolutely not. The NFC South with Tom Brady retiring, there's no one team you look at in the NFC South that says, oh, I'm so scared of that team. The, the Seahawks, if Russell Wilson is there, I don't think he will be. But if he is there, they have a lot of holes they have to fill before they are back to Super Bowl level. The 49ers are going to Trey Lance. I like Trey Lance. I like the, the build of this 49er team. I don't think they're going to be Super Bowl contenders year number one. So you look around, and the Cardinals, they have a lot of talent, but I don't really trust Cliff Kingsbury right now, and Kyler Murray is upset um, and not taking accountability. So you look around the NFC. There's really, if you are the Vikings, and you can get again, which is a big ask, but if you are a quarterback away, and you do it with the Rams, and you make a big splash, you get Deshaun Watson, you get Russell Wilson. The only team that is on your level, the only team standing in your way of a Super Bowl are the Rams. That's it. And that's it. So I am a believer in Minnesota. If you are able to get a big-time quarterback, this team can absolutely, absolutely have a similar run to what the Rams did in 2021. And that's the team. If you are saying who could be the Rams of 2022, my answer is the Minnesota Vikings. How about the Bengals? Which, we'll say hapless organization right now, which team that we don't really see coming who can make a turnaround to the point where we're saying, "Wow, look at this team! They're in the Super Bowl." I hope you're sitting down. Excuse me. I hope you're sitting down for this, but this is one I truly do believe that's out there that it's going to take some explaining. So if you give me time, I will hopefully explain how it makes sense. The team, though, I think that can mimic what the Bengals did next year. I think it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. I do think it's the Jaguars. Here's why: the biggest reason for them to have a turnaround. In 2022, where they're literally picking number one in the draft, having an awful, awful, awful season. The biggest reason why they, they can have a turnaround is because their biggest upgrade already happened at head coach. Urban Meyer, I could have been more wrong about Urban Meyer. He was a total disaster. He was a total nightmare. The guy was not ready for the NFL. He made poor decision after poor decision. He was not a very good leader. Did not develop his players very well. Did not lead them very well. Did not build them up. Did not teach them how to be pros. So as we know, like that was, that entire year was just muddled in controversy. So now you get, you get at Urban Meyer and you bring in a professional NFL coach, Doug Peterson, who, oh yeah, by the way, has already won a Super Bowl. So Doug Peterson coming in. Having an offensive system that he can run that has already shown to have success, like you ran in Philly, and it worked. He has already been able to show he could develop a young quarterback. Remember, he was there when Carson Wentz was drafted. He was able to develop Carson Wentz. He was able to get him to a point where year two, before he got injured, Carson Wentz was going to be the MVP. In year two. And when Carson Wentz got hurt, he was able to take Nick Foles and have Nick Foles play the greatest three games of his career and win a Super Bowl. Nick Foles out and was able to lead the Eagles past Tom Brady and the Patriots. That's never happening again. But you are now bringing a head coach that is able to overcome adversity, able to develop a young quarterback, and able to run a system that has resulted in Super Bowl victories. He will teach this team that was very young whether well, I think it's very important, he would teach him how to be professionals. Trevor Lawrence, at times, was the most professional person in that organization. More than Shot Khan, more than Trent Balky, absolutely more than Urban Meyer. There was times where basically Trevor Lawrence had to be the adult in the room as a rookie. A rookie. So now you bring in an NFL coach who knows the NFL, who could teach everyone else how to be professionals, I think that's going to, you know, bode really well for Trevor Lawrence. I think he'll have a really nice bounce back sophomore season after a struggle after he struggled in his rookie year for most of the year. So I'm a hundred percent still on Trevor Lawrence without a doubt. And you look around the rest of the team. Okay, James Robinson is a really good running back, a thousand yard rusher in his rookie year. He's going to get more carries next year. Urban Meyer, for whatever reason, hated James Robinson. Doug Peterson is a smart man. Where I think he's going to utilize the talent he has on his roster, not basically. Bury him on the depth chart like Urban tried to do with James Arms. So the best receiver, uh, best running back on the Jaguars is gonna at more carries. They have professional receivers in DJ Chark, if he's healthy. Marvin Jones, I like LaVisca Chenault. So there's some talent there for Trevor Lawrence to hold the ball to. Don't get me wrong, you need upgrades. You need upgrades. But you do have already some talent there to build off of. Speaking of upgrades, that comes in one of two ways. Draft for agency. Well, guess what? The, the Jaguars have... Four picks inside the top 70. So again, if you can hit on those players, you get some impact players right away, including drafting number one overall. And also the Jaguars have the third most cap space of any team in 2022. So you have avenues in free agency to make the team better, avenues in the draft to make the team better. You already have some pros on the roster. You bring in a massive upgrade in head coach that will help the quarterback out. And their division is manageable. Like if the Colts aren't able to get a big-time upgrade and they settle for, I don't know, Jimmy G or maybe the report you know that Chris Morton put out there doesn't come to fruition and the Colts can't trade Carson Wentz and they don't cut him because there's no other option, the Colts run it back with Carson Wentz. Are you really that scared of the Colts? No, you already beat them once if you're Jacksonville. Ryan Tannehill and the Titans, I'm not a believer in. Ryan Tannehill's not a very good quarterback. And that's the thing where if you could shut down Derrick Henry, you absolutely have a chance to beat the Titans. So that's a Titans team that I think is absolutely very beatable. The Texans are the Texans. They are they are rivaling the dysfunction that the Jaguars have faced. So if you are now the Jaguars, you have a manageable division. You have cap space. You have draft picks. You have a professional head coach that can really take a stranglehold of the organization and bring them out of the dysfunction they have been in and bring them into competency. You have a good young quarterback I do think the Jacksonville Jaguars, we have a chance to be sitting here this time next year and talking about them having a similar run to the Bengals. There was a lot of pieces there to like. So if you're saying who could be the 2022 version of the Bengals, I think it's the Jaguars. And if you're saying who could be the 2022 version of the Rams, I think it's the Vikings. I absolutely do think it's the Vikings. So here's your thoughts here. As we enter and start to look at to 2022, when you start to get optimistic and hope and maybe our team could be sitting here the Monday after the Super Bowl and rejoicing in a victory, or at least playing in the game. If you want to talk about who can make a similar run, I think for the for the Rams, it, it's definitely the Vikings as a team that could be could, could be sitting here this time next year. And for the Bengals, I do think it's the Jaguars. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Who can be the Rams of next season? Who could be the 2022 version of the Bengals? Which team could go from worst to first? And which team is a quarterback away from being in this game and winning this game this time next year that we don't really have on our radar? love to get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. we we'll get your thoughts. Who could be the Rams? Who could be the Bengals? And when we do return, let's talk about the Rams winning the Super Bowl I think it's the most one of the most improbable and impressive Super Bowl runs I have witnessed I will explain why we do return you listen to the Ryan Hickey show right here on the worldwide sports radio network
0: it it, is the worldwide sports radio network Network. 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 welcome back to the Ryan Hickey 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 show show. right here on the worldwide sports radio network
1: And hey, welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show on this Monday morning after Super Bowl 56. The Rams host Lombardi trophy for the first time since 1999. This is a, a, a massive win for them, a massive win for Matthew Stafford, and a massive win for the organization the fans themselves. And, Parks, I think it's the most improbable run to the Super Bowl we have seen in a very, very, very long time. Let's start with the quarterback. Let's start with the moves that were made by the Rams to get them in this position. The trade for Matthew Stafford did one thing that made it very hard for them to get to the big game and win it. It put an insane amount of pressure on Stafford, on the Rams, on everyone in that organization to win a Super Bowl. I I don't know about you, right? I, to be honest, was a believer in Stafford since the trade went down. I thought they were the team to beat. The Rams were once the trade was made, even though Tom Brady and the Buccaneers just were coming off the, or even going to the Super Bowl at that point, not even winning it. But the Rams had everything in place except for the quarterback. And when you make that trade for Matthew Stafford, basically have him to be a hired gun, it is Super Bowl or bust. And there was a lot of doubters, a lot of skeptics that this trade would work out because they've never seen it with Matthew Stafford before. I mean, think about it. The Rams were hitching their wagons to a guy who's been in Detroit for over a decade, who has put up impressive numbers, who has led comeback victories, who has led the Lions to the playoffs three times, never won a playoff game, has a very poor record against teams over 500, And it's a risk when you're giving up two total first-round picks. When you're moving off, your quarterback, Jared Goff, who say what you want about Jared Goff, was able to get the Rams to the Super Bowl. I'm not telling Jared Goff's a top-ten quarterback. I'm not even saying the Rams made a mistake in trading for it. Uh, Matthew Stafford and moving off Goff. I 100% thought that was the right move. But it is a move that is risky because, again, you're saying the guy we have that got us to the Super Bowl is not very good, and the guy that's been in Detroit where we haven't seen him ever win a playoff game is going to be the guy to deliver us to the promised land. That's a risky, risky move. If you're less than the GM, if you're, Matthew, uh, if you're Sean McVay, the, the head coach, kind of put all your eggs in that basket. So there was a lot of doubters, a lot of skeptics because of those reasons I just listed. His Detroit, you know, he's only made the playoffs three times in over a decade. He didn't win a playoff game with the Lions. His record against uh, teams over 500 is like 8-56. and 56. It's something horrendous. He's never had on-the-field team success in Detroit. And a lot of people did not think he was going to translate over to L.A. and lead them to victory. Play well in the big moment. A lot of people thought he was a stack compiler and nothing more. Not a primetime quarterback. That added an insane amount of pressure on the Rams that already had a lot of pressure on them because they were Super Bowl or bust. And at Matthew Stafford's credit, like he did for a large part of the regular season, but especially all throughout the postseason, he stepped up in the big moments and carried the Rams to the Super Bowl. Like, there's not many more quarterbacks Considering the circumstances, considering the pressure, considering sometimes the game circumstances, whether it was against the Buccaneers, whether it was down by 10 um, at home uh, two weeks ago against the 49ers, whether it's even in the Super Bowl, where you are struggling for two and a half quarters in a row, down by four, Super Bowl pressure, chance to lead you know, the Rams down for a touchdown and win the game. There's a lot of quarterbacks that aren't leading that drive, that aren't coming up clutch, that aren't throwing a no-look pass to Cooper Cup on the final drive of the game on a huge play to get them down into Bengals territory. There's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL that are not doing what Matthew Stafford did yesterday and are not doing what Matthew Stafford did all season long which was in the moment was biggest when the team needed a scoring drive, whether it's a touchdown, whether it's a field goal at the end of the game, bounce back and deliver time and time and time again. You can get on Matthew Stafford for all the interceptions he threw. He threw a ton. All the pick sixes he threw in the middle of the year when they were when the Rams were slumping, losing to teams like the Titans at home and they didn't have Derrick Henry, losing to the Packers, losing to the 49ers, and the 49ers kind of in the midst of, uh, of their rut and starting to come out of it. But at, at that point, when the 49ers and the Rams played Monday Night Football, we did not think the 49ers were going to be a team that was going to make it to the NFC title game like they did. But Matthew Stafford in those games really struggled, really was putting the ball in harm's way, and really was the reason why the Rams were losing those games. But to his credit, the most impressive part of Matthew Stafford's makeup as a quarterback is his mental toughness. His arm strength is incredible. His accuracy is great. Again, his ability to throw no-look passes in the Super Bowl with the game on the line is insane. You only ever see that stuff from, from, from Patrick Mahomes. But Matthew Stafford's ability to mentally block out the pressure, mentally, in his mind, erase the mistakes he had earlier in the game, including throwing two picks, one in the end zone, you had a Rams team that went three and out three consecutive drives before that final drive that Matthew Stafford led them down for a touchdown to eventually win the game. You rarely see quarterbacks mentally be able to block out those distractions, block out those emotions, block out those doubts and frustrations, and continually on the big stage lead your team down to victory. That is the most impressive part of Matthew Stafford's play in, D- in LA this season because he's done it. Now, three games in a row, Buccaneers playoff game after you're up 27-3. Everyone on your team is fumbling. You throw the biggest pass at that point of your career to Cooper Cup to get them in field goal range to eventually kick the game-winning field goal. Down by 10 points in the Super Bowl at home to the 49ers, you were able to deliver three consecutive scoring drives to finish off the game and eventually win the game and send your team to the Super Bowl. And then down by four, six minutes to go, fourth quarter, feeling the pressure you are able to deliver a 79-yard drive to throw the eventual game-winning touchdown pass to Cooper Cup to win the Super Bowl in your first season leaving Detroit, in a season that was Super Bowl robust, in a season that everyone doubted your ability to do exactly what you did. You know how much mental toughness that takes to be able to, to rise up in those moments? and deliver when your team needs you most. It's insane. Again, that is why there is not many quarterbacks in the NFL that are doing what Matthew Stafford did this season. The Rams, by far, had the most pressure on them of any team to win the Super Bowl. By far, a lot of those games are on Matthew Stafford's shoulders. He has felt pressure this season he has never felt in his career. And each and every single time this season... The Rams, especially in the playoffs, needed Matthew Stafford to make a throw, make a drive. He came up clutch. He delivered. That is why it was, to me, one of the most impressive runs to the Super Bowl of any team we have seen. The pressure was insane all season long. You're asking a quarterback who, there was questions of whether he could get the job done. He was able to get the job done. He delivered and was the reason why the Rams were able to get the job done. And consistently, we have seen so many playoff moments break quarterbacks. So many quarterbacks fall short and falter with a game on the line time and time and time again. And Stafford faced down the barrel, cool as a cucumber, did it against the Buccaneers, did it against the 49ers, did it against the Bengals. That's impressive. That's why I'm so happy for the Rams. That's why I'm so happy for Matthew Stafford. When you were a believer early on, to prove all of the doubters wrong, there must be no better feeling in the world. There is no one happier in this world, I promise you, than Matthew Stafford today, not even Sean McVay. Who, if you saw this, it, a very funny moment. Hopefully you saw it on the NFL Network. If not, he was talking to the guys on set after the game and said, I'm going to celebrate hard tonight. I'm not going to remember any of it. You never hear a coach talk about how they're going to black out and just have a good time. So you know Sean is happy. You know Sean McVay's had a good time last night. He's probably still having a good time as it's what? 7, almost 8 a.m. on the West Coast? Probably still drunk, the guy. But no one I don't think could be happier, more relieved than Matthew Stafford this morning because all the attention, all the pressure, all the doubts were swirling his way all season long and in the three biggest games of his career showed up and balled out each and every one of them. So congratulations to Stafford. Congratulations to Sean McVay and Aaron Donald, who now gets a ring and really can't accomplish anything else more. Right, He is already one of the greatest uh, defensive players in NFL history. Only adds that legacy. Hopefully he doesn't retire. There's some retirement uh, rumors circulating. Hopefully he comes back because it's just a joy to watch him play. Sean McVay, hopefully he comes back. There's some retirement rumors about him. But it is a just a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous game to watch and a tremendous accomplishment for the Rams in winning their first Super Bowl since 1999 in a season that truly was Super Bowl or bust. So we appreciate everyone who joined us here on this Super Bowl Monday. We appreciate everyone kind of, you know, coming on, listening to us, break down the Super Bowl. What a 2021 season it was. What a blast a lot of fun. Appreciate everyone who's been along for the ride with us this month, you know, this uh, football season. We appreciate you always starting your Monday morning after the the weeks of games, always coming on here and either getting ready for the week upcoming or reacting to the week that happened. It's been a blast. Been an absolute blast, but don't worry, we're going nowhere. It's gonna be a lot of fun now going forward into February, into March, and April. We still got a jam packed show as always. Um, so make sure you stay tuned. So we will be back on Thursday, as always, right here on the Ryan Hickey Show. So between now and then, as always, stay safe. Stay sane. Try to be somewhat productive. Maybe, hopefully, your boss takes it easy on you today and uh, doesn't swap you with too much work after um, everyone, I'm sure, celebrating and just watching the final football game of 2021 commence. So, appreciate everyone who tuned in. We'll be back on Thursday. So, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
0: It is it, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.